0: Greetings, everyone. Welcome to this episode of the Bible in Life podcast. Today, we are going to be looking at one of my all-time favorite passages uh, from the New Testament. And we're going to be really answering the question, what is the most important goal you have for your life? Before we jump into uh, the passage of Scripture for the day, just want to direct your attention to a resource that uh, I think could be really helpful to you, and in a lot of ways goes right along with what we're going to be talking about today. Uh, You can go over to my website, johnwhitaker.net, johnwhitakernet slash courses, and there's a free course on there entitled How to Read the Bible and Pray, and along with that there's a uh, about a six-month Bible reading plan on there that might help you get started. So if you've ever struggled with uh, how to read the Bible and pray, or you know you ought to do it, you want to do it, or you're just looking for more ideas for how to read the Bible and pray and how to be consistent at it, that course is a a pretty short, simple, little free mini course on, on just some tips I've learned over the years about how to read the Bible and pray, how to do it consistently, why to do it. And I even give you a little bit of a model of how I've done it for a really long time. It's just one way to do it, not the only way, but at least gives you maybe a, a template or a pattern that you could use to help uh, read the Bible and pray. So uh, you can check that out on my website, johnwhitakernet slash courses, and, and find that there, as well as that free... Uh, Bible Reading Plan is just a part of that course, so check that out, and hopefully you can use that to really seek God, get grounded in Scripture, which really is the whole heart behind this show, is that we would be rooted in Scripture, grounded in Scripture, that the Bible would become a central part of our life. And with that, let's let's turn to the Bible today. We're going to be looking at Philippians chapter 3, and as I said, this is one of my uh, all-time favorite passages of Scripture in a lot of ways. It's it's been at the heart of who I've been and shaped a lot of my my thinking and behaving and even uh, ministry over the years. Philippians chapter three, we'll pick up in verse seven, uh, but just to kind of set that up, I I um I was handed two books when I was in high school. One was titled The Pursuit of God by A.W. Tozer. The other was titled The Practice of the Presence of God by Brother Lawrence. And those two books were given to me by a, a, a gal who was probably the age I am now when I was in high school. and. She just uh, saw that I had an interest in God and the things of Jesus, and she was a mom and a follower of, of Jesus, and she had a son similar in age to me, and so she handed me these two books, hoping that they would be useful to my spiritual life, and she was dead on. These two books, The Pursuit of God and The Practice of the Presence of God, um, really fanned into flame my heart for God and made me want to seek God and pursue God and know God in a very real and passionate sort of way. And that, that as a high school student, then became the whole drive for my life, that I wanted everything I did in life to, to match that kind of passionate energy I saw from Brother Lawrence in the practice of the presence of God, and even in A.W. Tozer in the pursuit of God, I, I wanted to have a heart for God like they described or they embodied in those books. And, and then I showed up at uh, Bible College, and in one of my very first class sessions, one of my professors, a, a an old fellow named Kenny Beckman, stands up in front of the class and says, the greatest aspiration a man can have is to know God. And that just confirmed that was it. That was the goal for me. I wanted to make my life all about seeking God, knowing God. And that's really at the heart of Philippians chapter three that we're looking at today. Paul is going to say that when his life changed, that became his drive. That became his passion to know Christ, to know God in Christ. And and if you're not super familiar with the Bible or Uh, the story of of Jesus and the Apostles. Let me just give you a little background to the Apostle Paul before we describe what happens to him, or he describes what happens to him uh, in this passage we're going to look at. The Apostle Paul was not always the Apostle Paul. He was Saul, the Jew, an up-and-comer in Jewish society he uh, was sort of almost like the valedictorian of his class in rabbi school and and he was actually an opponent of Jesus and an opponent of the christians and you can read that story in acts chapters 8 and 9 and and in One of his uh, ventures to actually arrest Christians and bring them back to Jerusalem for trial, Jesus met him on his way to Damascus. and This is frequently referred to as Paul's Damascus Road experience. Well, Jesus actually appeared to him, and it revolutionized Paul's life. All of a sudden, he realized his assessment of Jesus had been wrong. His, uh, his assessment of Jesus had been wrong, and therefore his assessment of the Christians that he was persecuting had been wrong. And, and he uh, had to go back to the scriptures and rethink everything. And when he did, it precipitated for Paul a total reorientation of his life, a, a total reorientation of everything, even that he, he valued. He had to rethink everything and that's what he describes here in Philippians chapter 3 listen to what he says Philippians 3 verse 7 Paul says but whatever things were gain to me those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ and Paul's actually seeming to use almost accounting terminology. I had all these things that I thought were assets for me, that were in the, the asset column, the gain column on the spreadsheet of my life. And then I met Jesus And I realized I was wrong about him. If Jesus was alive, risen from the dead, that meant he was vindicated by God. And indeed, he was God's son. He was who the Christians said they were. And so whatever things were in that asset column, that gain column for me as an up-and-comer in Jewish society, now Paul says, having met Jesus, those things I have counted as loss. I've moved them to the liability column. And I realized They're not all they're cracked up to be for the sake of Jesus. And so I have rearranged all my priorities, all my goals, all my values now around Jesus. That's what Paul is saying. Whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. And if you look back in the preceding context, now you'll see some of the things that Paul counted as gain for him um, he describes in the earlier verses things like he was, he was circumcised on the eighth day, just the way the law said it was supposed to happen. He was uh, of the nation of Israel. He was actually of the tribe of Benjamin, where the first king of Israel came from, named after the very first king. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews, he says, which meant... Uh, he spoke the Jewish language, the language, Hebrew language in his home, in the synagogue. He grew up with Hebrew culture. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He, he was a Pharisee whose goal was to be as faithful to the law and as faithful to God and as pure and as holy as possible. Uh, he was so zealous for the law that he persecuted the church. These are some of the, the gains that Paul describes in the pre- preceding verses. And what he's essentially doing is saying, here's my religious stat sheet. Here are the things that all my countrymen would have looked at, and they would have said, man, what a model Jew. What a, what a, what a perfect f- follower of Yahweh and keeper of the law. That he, he, Here's my religious stat sheet, or here's my resume as a Jew. And Paul says, all those things in my earlier life before I met Jesus, those were gains to me. Uh, and, and then I met Jesus, and it changed everything. Really, that raises the question for me, raises the question for you, what kinds of privileges, what kinds of accomplishment uh, can uh, cause us today to put confidence in ourselves, confidence in our accomplishments, confidence, what Paul says in the earlier verses, confidence in our flesh and our own ability, our own power, our own strength. What kinds of privileges and accomplishments can, can cause us To put confidence in ourself and our own abilities. And are we willing to move those from the gain column to the liability column if necessary for the sake of Christ? And That's exactly what Paul did when he met Jesus. He goes on in in Philippians 3, Paul does, and he says this, More than that, I count all things to be lost, not even just the gains, uh, but what whatever else in life might come between me and Jesus, I count all things to be lost. Notice this, in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Like if I'm going to compare things, Paul says, uh, and I have on one hand knowing Jesus and on the other hand, any and everything else I might get, I might accomplish, I might achieve uh, in life. If I, if I compare those two things, no matter how great, how seemingly valuable, how impressive, All these other things might be that I could accomplish, that I could achieve, all awards, all recognition, all money and riches, all pleasure and fun, whatever it is. Anything that that might be considered gains by the standards of society, if that's going to come between me and knowing Jesus, well, the value of knowing Jesus is so great, so, he says, surpassing that anything else, is a liability, is a loss compared to knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And then he says this, for whose sake, for whom I have suffered, notice that, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. For Paul, coming to Jesus was very much a costly venture and he gave up a lot. He lost a lot. Uh, he lost his status in society. He lost his social standing, his social circle, his friend group. He lost all of that. Who knows the impact on his family since he grew up in a home that was very conservative Jewish uh, home. Who knows how they responded to him and uh, did they cast him aside? He he may have lost that. Um, certainly he lost privileges and even some position and power, and maybe even a little bit of wealth. Um, we know from the stories of Paul in the book of Acts that he lost a lot of comfort and a lot of ease in life because uh, the mission Jesus called him to was very costly and very demanding. We know from Corinthians some of the things he suffered, the being whipped and beaten and shipwrecked and hungry and all of that. And Paul says... Uh, I actually have suffered the loss of all things for the sake of Jesus, for the sake of knowing Him, serving Him, and being uh, part of His mission to the world. So, for whose sake I have suffered the loss of all things. What have you suffered? What have you given up for the sake of following Jesus? When you met Jesus, did, did it precipitate for you this kind of reorientation of life where you, you had to say no to certain other things so you could say yes to Jesus and his mission. What have you suffered for the sake of Jesus and following Jesus and serving Jesus? Paul says, I've suffered the loss of all things. And then he goes on and he says, and I count them but rubbish. I count all these other things that, that by the world's standards might be so great, so wonderful, so incredible. I count them but rubbish that I might gain Christ. And that word rubbish is really a, a very descriptive word in, in Greek. The original language this is written in. Uh, rubbish isn't even an uh, English word we use tons unless we're outside of the United States. Maybe if you're listening from London, you use the word rubbish. We don't use it a whole lot here in the States. But the word behind it in Greek, the original language of the New Testament, is skubala. And skubala is a very descriptive word. Um, it referred to maybe at the end of the season, grapes that had fallen off the vine and now were just kind of moldy, mushy, rotten mess on the ground underneath the grapevine. Scubala. Or um, I think of uh, the refrigerator at home when I was growing up. My mom would, uh, you know, we'd have leftover food. The classic example is the spaghetti for whatever reason. We didn't have much Tupperware growing up. Not really sure why. So my mom would actually just put the leftover spaghetti sauce and, in the pan, in the refrigerator, and she would put the noodles on top of the sauce and just set that in the refrigerator. Well, you know that was not real appetizing after a couple days, so it would just get pushed to the back of the refrigerator. And all of a sudden, uh, after you know a week or two weeks, all of a sudden you have this pan. It's like, what's in that pan? You pull it out, and now it's got like green fuzz growing on it and looks incredibly nasty, scubala, that's what this word refers to. Or if you've ever uh, been camping, gone into the outhouse and made the, the fatal air of uh, looking down in the hole before you, uh, before you went to the restroom, well, that's what this word referred to, scubala. And Paul says, compared to knowing Jesus, even all these really sometimes seemingly good things or wonderful things that uh, by normal human standards would have been considered, man, Things to be pursued are valuable. Paul says, if I had to compare those with knowing Jesus, they're like scubala. They're rubbish. They're worthless filth uh, compared to knowing Jesus. So I've, I've reckoned everything. I've counted everything in that category so that I might gain Jesus, who is the highest value, the greatest prize, the most important goal in life is simply gaining Christ. In verse 9, he says, and I might be found in him, found in him on the final day, on the day when all our lives are going to be assessed and evaluated by God. Paul says, I want to be found in Jesus. That's the location uh, where I want to be evaluated at, in Jesus. Not having, he says, a righteousness of my own derived from keeping the law. And Paul says, I had done that. I had played that game. I had, to the best of my ability, kept the Jewish law, and I was a model Jew. But I don't want that kind of standing with God. I don't want to try to do it on my own. I don't want a righteousness of my own derived from the law. But I want the kind of righteousness that comes through faith in Jesus, through dynamic Uh, loyal, trusting union with Jesus. I want that kind of righteousness. The righteousness, he says in verse 9, which comes from God. The kind of righteousness that God gives. The kind of righteousness that God produces. And sometimes New Testament scholars wrestle with, are we talking about positional righteousness, like justification, like we're put into a right relationship with God, or are we talking about like actual righteousness, practical righteousness, the kind of righteousness that we actually live out that shapes our lifestyle? And my thinking is, I don't think it has to be either or. I think there can be a both and here because... The, the positional righteousness, the right standing with God is intended to produce in our life a new quality and a new kind of life. And Paul says, that's what I want. I want that kind of righteousness, the kind that comes from being put into a right relationship with God through Jesus and the kind that then God produces in and through me. That's what I'm pursuing for the whole purpose, he says in verse 10 that I might know him, that I might know Jesus. Paul says, I want that kind of righteousness so that I can, I can know him, so that I can live in faithful union with him, so that I can be close to him. And not just feel his presence when I pray or feel his presence in my life. That's part of knowing Jesus, to, to feel his presence, to, to have this intimate, loyal relationship with him. That's part of it. But, but for Paul, it went beyond that. It went to this willingness to live in partnership with him, to live in sync with him, to do life with him, to participate in what Jesus was doing in the world. That's, for Paul, what it meant to know him. And so he says that I might know him, and he says that involves two things, that I might know him. Uh, both the power of his resurrection. I want to know the, the kind of power that raised Jesus from the dead. I want to know that in the here and now. And when you read Paul's other letters, you realize that for Paul, we we experienced initially the power of Jesus' resurrection at conversion, where, where even in our baptism, it embodies this death, burial, resurrection. We're raised, Paul says in Ephesians, to new life. And so, We've experienced that at at the beginning of our Christian faith and throughout our Christian faith, Paul says, I want to know that. I want to know the, the power that raised Jesus from the dead and knowing him also involves the fellowship, the partnership of his sufferings, that Jesus suffered for me and for us and for this world. And I want to involve myself in continuing to suffer for the sake of reconciling this world to God. And Paul says for, for him, that's what knowing Jesus means, is those two things, the power of Jesus' resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. And uh, just a chapter earlier in Philippians chapter 2, Paul talks about this idea of of Jesus' death becoming the pattern for our relationships, the pattern for our life, that we lo- live a cross-shaped life. And Paul says he wants He wants that. That's what he wants. As he seeks to know Jesus, he wants to live like Jesus in this world. He wants to pattern his life after that cross-shaped approach to life. So he wants to be conformed to his death in order that somehow, by the power of God, he might attain to the resurrection from the dead. That, That, for Paul, is the thing that matters more than anything else, knowing Jesus living in partnership, living in union with Jesus. That is the heartbeat and the goal of his life. And Paul tells this to the Philippian church in this letter and tells it to us, not just so we can clap our hands and say, that's awesome, Paul. Paul tells it to them and to us so that we can imitate his example. And Paul's really saying, this, this is what life is all about. And so for you and for me, the question really is, is this what our life is? is marked by is this what we're pursuing Um, did we pursue it once in the past but somehow uh, our Christian faith just became about going through the the routine and the ritual of going to church praying before meals and saying our prayers at bedtime and somehow the the passion to know Jesus was lost Um, maybe maybe for the first time you're just meeting Jesus and and you're just getting to to know who he is Well, Paul would say, here's the heartbeat of the whole thing of following Jesus. Make it your life's ambition to know him, to know him. And so, uh, Bible and Life listener, I I, I pray that you, I pray for myself, that we would be people who say, you know what, our life is going to be like Paul's life. We recognize that knowing Jesus is the greatest asset, the greatest treasure in the whole universe, and we are going to count everything else as loss even as scuba compared to knowing Jesus. And so our life's ambition will be to know him. And how can you do that? How can you get to know him? Well, one of the key ways you can get to know Jesus is, is reading the stories about Jesus, uh, reading the Gospels, seeing him in action, uh, praying those things into your life, uh, reading the rest of the New Testament and letting Jesus teach you through his apostles what it looks like to live for him in this world. And so you you really can't come to know Jesus without reading the Bible and without engaging the Bible, without taking the Bible in. And so... so Read the, the scriptures regularly, pray them into your life, um, talk to God, invite Him into your day, walk with Him through your life, let, let His ways become more and more your ways, and as you learn from Him, do life His way, and in that way, you will become more and more like Paul's example here of somebody who says, I just want to know Jesus, the power of His resurrection, even the fellowship of His suffering, so that I could be conformed to His death. All right, there you go. That's Philippians 3. Great text. I would actually encourage you maybe even to memorize this text as as part of your desire to know Jesus. All right, thanks so much for listening today to Bible and Life. Starting next Tuesday, we're going to begin working through the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And that's some of Jesus' most powerful, most important teaching for us as followers of Jesus. So be sure you tune in next Tuesday for Bible and Life. We'll see you then.